Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Jeff Concepcion is solely an investment advisor representative of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Aaron Becker and Becker Retirement Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion, and welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast. I'm very pleased today to have Arwen Becker uh, joining us. In 2000, Arwen was a divorce zoology graduate seeking a higher paying job. That led her into the career path of financial planning, where for 22 years, she's run and, and operated Becker Retirement Group with her husband, Randy. She just went through a very interesting change there, which she'll share with us. I think you'll find interesting. After working with thousands of women and changing the way that women are financially educated through her training program called Life with Arwen or the Life Program, she's armed advisors with the proper tools to succeed and the best practices to thrive in marketing to women, which I think Arwen is going to explain to us is an enormous marketplace and it's only growing. She's spoken nationally uh, more than 40 times per year. She's the author of a book called She Handled It, So Can You, and she hosts the She Handled It podcast. She's a go-to contributor for TD Ameritrade, for Yahoo Finance, and for many more sources in the wealth management industry. So with that, Arwen, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. So zoology was not going to give you the path towards financial independence, I take it, or maybe you hadn't fully explored how that would happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I made a man my financial plan early on in life. So I figured that part was going to be taken care of. And so when I found myself divorced at 24 with a zoology degree, I realized that my stipend I received through the, I ran a wildlife rehabilitation center. So I used to work with every wild animal known to man in the state of Washington and uh, loved it. But my stipend I received was not enough to pay my bills now that I was divorced 24 and on my own. So had to seek out some new work. <laughs> and so tell me a little bit about the transition of now being focused solely and reliant solely upon your yourself, thinking about different career paths. How did you, because I'm not sure there are some people who went into it with intention. I think most of us, myself included, stumbled into wealth management. How did that happen for you? Yep, that's exactly what happened to me. So my girlfriend was sitting in a coffee shop in downtown Bellevue, Bellevue, Washington, and Happened to be getting up. Uh, Another gentleman walked in. They started talking. He said, I'm new to the building. And they exchanged some business cards. And then he said, as she was walking out, by the way, do you know of anybody who might be looking for a job? And so she connected the two of us. It ended up being the only job interview that I went on. And gosh, more than 22 years ago, that guy that hired me became my business mentor, my business partner. And then more than 17 years ago, my husband and is also the father of our three boys. That's Randy, my husband. Sounds like it was a pretty good introduction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, of course you can't, can't ever script that. It was definitely one of those moments that were God ordained, but that was how I had my initial foray into this business. He was 
brand new. His company had just started. He was partners of another firm that got purchased by a large accounting firm. And he didn't want to continue on with that, thought he might end up being more of somebody's employee. So he started out on his own in late 99. And then he and I started working together in March of 2000 and have ever since. Now, did you grow up in the Bellevue area? You know, I did. I actually grew up in Kirkland. So just one city over and um, went to Juanita High School and went to the University of Washington, gave up full ride scholarships to go to the University of Washington because that's where my boyfriend at the time was going. So you can imagine that wasn't a uh, a decision that my mom was happy that I made because financially she couldn't afford to have me going to the University of Washington. But yeah, I followed a boy and unfortunately that relationship didn't work out. But, you know, things always happen for a reason. I was going to say, but in the end, it all did. So maybe that was sort of a a step on the pathway towards where you wanted and needed to be. I've never been, I've been to all corners of the world and countries and continent. I have not been to the Pacific Northwest, but I'm excited to say that my gift each year from my son tends to be a trip, right? Because the only gift that's the most valuable is time. Yeah. And we're, and we're going to be jutting around the Pacific Northwest. So I might drop in and say hello for coffee. Yeah, I would love that. And you'll absolutely love it. Are you going to bounce from here up to Alaska, perhaps? We're, it's, it's, on, it's on the discussion uh, list. So it's not yeah. fully vetted yet, but Pacific Northwest with the possibility of Alaska. So, yeah, this is the time of year. It's just absolutely stunning. Beautiful. So, so you launched your financial planning and wealth management career 22 years ago. And it sounds like that your then partner, but eventual husband was sort of just launching the business as well. I'd love to hear sort of from the ground up how you guys built the business that I believe you just recently sold. Yeah. So uh, in the beginning, so early 2000, you know, we, um, we were doing quite well and you know, had a couple of advisors that were working for him at the time. And really I was the administrative person at that point. So came on really as an EA at that time, and then just continued to grow in my administrative skills. The funny thing is, I thought I only wanted to work with animals in my life. I didn't really think I wanted to work that much with people, which is kind of ironic. But the thing that I didn't realize in running a wildlife rehabilitation center, I ran, um, gosh, I was solely responsible for 110 volunteers a week for all the media intakes of 300 animals. I mean, at a time we could be managing 150 to 350 animals. I was the one that helped out with the veterinarian and pinning bones and, and my organizational skills to be able to run all of that, because if things didn't get done, it was all volunteer. So with exception of me and the other director, if things didn't get done, they fell on me. So I actually learned a lot of administrative skills. I just didn't realize that's what I was learning. So when I came to work for Randy, my personality is very organized, very much process driven. I am the person that's going to take the big idea and figure out all the steps along the way. And so for him, he's a big, big picture thinker, visionary, um, as a lot of advisors are in this industry. And that's why the two of us worked so well together, because I could take these big ideas and new marketing direction or events that we were thinking about and then get all the pieces organized. So so it just worked really well, very, very quickly. And so we had a couple of advisors that worked for us, a, cu- a couple of other staff. And then the dot bomb <laughs> hit. And as you, I, I don't know how long you've been in, in the industry. How long have you been? Uh, 30 some odd 
30 some okay. odd years. Yeah. Almost the, the extent of his career. So he's been in 35 years. Yeah. Close so, to that. um, yeah. So going through that and, and enduring those 51 months of down market made things hard. And we were really struggling at trying to generate enough leads for the advisors that we had. So slowly over time, the team started to kind of dwindle down smaller and smaller. But of course, because of the dot bomb and us living in the Pacific Northwest, you know, home of Microsoft and you know, we have Amazon and, and so many, so many big, enormous companies, but there was so much going on in the tech industry around here. Literally one day I came to work and two floors of our building were empty that were full the day before. I mean, it was just craziness. So here we are, this little company doing our best to, um, to stay financially stable, but yet there's so much going on in the market and we're still relatively new and we're still trying to get our feet. And so it just was a, a bit of a pressure time. And we just kind of had to slowly start to work down to the point where in 2006, it was just Randy and me. So and where, at that point, is that what spurred ahead. the, is that what spurred the evolution? Where did that evolution come from, from being no, that actually staff, came, from staff to, you know, to more of an advisor role and. Yeah, no, that actually came in the years to follow. So we, we worked that way for a couple of years and really strengthened ourselves, and then got to in about 2006, we ended up going in very heavily and eventually end up solely into premium finance. And so that's those big, large insurance cases for very ultra high net worth individuals where the bank funds the insurance policy. They'll end up you know, paying off the loan when the death benefit goes and then whatever's left and remaining goes in, you know, stays in with the client. But that was 100% based on the credit market. So we did that for a couple of years and really started to step away from our bread and butter, which was dinner seminars and ended up going into that completely. And then September of 2008 hit and every bit of business that we had in the pipeline overnight was gone. And so we had to mad scramble and get dinner seminars back online. But at that point, there was such analysis paralysis during the Great Recession that even those wonderful relationships that we had had for years, where we could just pick up the phone and call a client and make a recommendation, people were just terrified to do anything. And so a lot of people just weren't willing to move. And so 2009, our revenue for our company went down 33%. 2010, it went down another 33%. And we were really struggling financially and you know, trying to get back on our feet, trying to retain all of our obligations. That was, that was the tough moment. And it really culminated for me as a, as a woman, a lot of women, since I work with you know, predominantly women, I hear this very consistent thread that our homes mean so much to us. It's that, that deep, meaningful place that you have these experiences. And actually, my youngest son was born at our home intentionally. So it meant a lot to me. But 2010, I finally had to let it go. We tried everything that we could to renegotiate the loans with the banks and being people who are on commissions every time we'd finally get a little further down the road everything would ground to a halt. And then they would ask for new financials again. And it just ended up becoming a year and a half nightmare that we finally just both put our hands up and said, it's just not worth it. So for me, that was really devastating, not only because of the emotional impact of it, but because 
I was in the financial business and I felt like a massive failure. My husband didn't, it didn't affect him the same way as it did to me. For him, he just realized it was a a great business move to make sure that our business stayed solvent, that our employees stayed employed, that we didn't declare bankruptcy or anything like that, that we just kind of said, okay, we did what we could and now it's time to move on. But for me, it was really, really hard and I took it very personally. And yet that, that deep, dark moment was really the start of the next phase of my career. And so it wasn't too long after that, that I had already been insurance licensed, but not too long after that, I got my securities license and really felt like at this point, I needed to step out from the role of the administration role and step into a full-blown advisory role. And so embarked on that process, Um, the challenge that I felt, and that I'm sure you can understand as I was talking about the difference between how my husband thinks, you know, visionary, you know, cast the big ideas and figure out how to make it happen. Whereas I'm very black and white. He's much more color gray. I don't know, however you want to say it. And so I really struggled at being an advisor because he was the one I usually saw doing that job. And I never felt I could measure up to what he was capable of. And so I constantly felt like I just wasn't that good. And that was really, really hard on me too. And so um, I guess to kind of give timeline then, so this now is what brought us to 2016. So 2016 was really the culmination that was right before me really starting to dive into marketing to women. And here's how it occurred. I got to my breaking point. I checked myself into the ER. I thought I was having a heart attack and uh, come to find out it was just debilitating stress that they solved with Mylantha. That's really awesome. But I just was done. I couldn't shoulder the feeling of responsibility, not only of employees and everybody else's livelihood, but I just couldn't feel like I could keep this all together because we were still digging out of this hole that was created by the Great Recession. It was quite significant because we kept our business and we kept people employed and things of that nature. Made the right choice. There were a question about it, but it's, as you know, it's pretty easy to find yourself in a hole. It's a lot harder to get out of it. Right. And so that was the moment where I just threw my hands up in there and I said, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I want to sell the company. It's just, it's too much of a burden. It's just, as you can see, it's put it's making me so sick. I just can't manage it. And I have three children too. I was still a mom. I was still trying to be a wife and, uh, you know, a daughter and a friend and everything else. And so long story short, we initiated that eventually the company who was going to buy us could only take the advisor who was securities licensed. That was me. And so it led us to actually splitting the company and I was going to go to work for somebody else. And the day before final signatures with the buyer, actually the morning of, I went for a run a couple hours before and we had told our kids the night before they were bawling their eyes out. Couldn't believe it. Just like, couldn't believe that mom and dad weren't going to work together after 17 years. But that morning, right before we met with the buyer, I went for a run and I really did feel like I was hearing God tell me, if you sell the company, it will end your marriage. And I listened. And so when we sat down with the buyer that morning, I just looked at him. I said, I'm so sorry. I know on paper that this makes sense, but it's not right for my family. And so I called the whole thing off. 
And that was the moment for me. It was the realization that I was going to give up everything that mattered to me to, you know, my, my, my husband, my, my employees, we had already laid people off. We had the email set to go out to our 600 clients. And really it was this idea and understanding that I was willing to give up everything to one, feel authentic, to actually be me in that situation and not feel like I needed to be Randy. But two, I just felt like our company needed to be going in a different direction than it was. And at that point, Randy agreed. He said, whatever you need to do, I realize that this is very serious. You need to be able to lead at this point and I'm happy to let you do it. And so he stepped back and let me take charge of all of the lead gen. And that's what led us into 2017. And that was the first moment I ever gave a seminar in my life. He had done it for 17 years. And that was the start of me taking over all of the lead generation or really the foray into me marketing women started at that point. Very interesting. Very interesting. So the business was really more diverse in terms of the clientele that it served. And that shift when you chose not to sell was to focus on this probably to some degree either underserved or maybe you know not properly understood segment of the market that you saw a real opportunity in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it didn't come overnight. I didn't have that realization in late 2016, but I had it once I finally started doing seminars. So I had never done any seminars. I'd never done any lead gen that was all brand new to me, but I just felt like I needed to take that responsibility. And Randy was happy to let go of it for 17 years after doing it for 17 years. So I started doing seminars that were just open to everybody, just like most people do. And that's where I really worked on a lot of my speaking skills. And I did a couple of different seminars that I was asked to pilot as well. But then in 2017, I was introduced to my first women's seminar. And that was where I saw something I had never seen in my entire, at that point, eight, almost 18 year career. We were not filling rooms after the great recession with our marketing efforts. We were really struggling to do that. And I was filling rooms and I was filling rooms with women who were genuinely hungry for the message that I had, not just another free dinner. And I had never seen anything like it. And let me ask you a question. That message, can that message be delivered as effectively from a male advisor, assuming that they have the communication skills and empathy and ability to connect? Have you seen male advisors be able to adopt this system reasonably effectively or as effectively as as female advisors? Absolutely. Actually, more effectively sometimes. It's really interesting, Jeff. Um, So what I've learned through a lot of study, a lot of years, a lot of data is even a lot of women are not, they're not naturally good at marketing to women. I was not naturally good at marketing to women because I, just like many men, just like many women in this industry, adapt a very masculine style. It's direct, it's assertive, it's confident, it's you know, traits that tend to be a little more masculine leaning. And yet I've had, uh, I can think of a, of a friend and and business associate of mine who absolutely just nailed it day one with these. And the reason was he was a pastor in a previous vocation. He understood inherently you talk to men one way, you talk to teenagers one way, and you talk to women another way. It's not only what you say, 
but it's how you say it. Yeah, that's and, a, there, there's an interesting nuance there. And it's interesting because you're using this term of even a, or this notion of a female advisor acting in a male oriented way. And I assume that infers sort of with strength direction versus maybe what that marketplace appreciates more, which simply might be understanding and good listening and just more of a, gent- you know, I don't, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to make too many inferences. You're right. No, no, you're right. Care, compassion, concern, empathy, you know, just, you know, I think of it this way. Cause a, a lot of times, you know, a lot of guys are like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it just kind of sounds like a little foofy or whatever it is. But if you think about it this way, I have seen the most relentless male competitors. And yet if you take a two and a half year old daughter and you dress her up in a princess costume and you send her into his presence and she goes, daddy, do I look pretty? You will see him instantly tap into those areas instantly because we all have them. It's just our industry, because it speaks a masculine language, that's how a lot of the information is disseminated. And that is the biggest component in which I've learned and through watching my male friends that have been able to do this successfully, fully agree. It's the analogies that are being used. Are we talking sports and cars? Because that's not, I love sports. I'm a division one athlete, totally work. Those sports analogies work for me. But a lot of the women coming to these events, which are predominantly single women, divorced, widowed, never married, a lot of them don't resonate with that. Right. They resonate with stories about, yeah, my mom or my, my kids or, you know, things that have that emotional, intangible component to it. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, there's a young lady who I, who I like a lot and think highly of who started a marketing business towards women and women investors and just kind of the look and softness and feel and messaging of all of her collateral and everything else it just appealed, right? It was sort of constructed for consumption by, and when someone is thoughtful about the audience and how that audience sees, receives, and relate to, it makes sense. So I believe what you're saying is that anyone can be trained to operate this way, but I suspect there's men and women by nature intuitively will just naturally be better at it because it's sort of in their DNA and they're just being sort of coached to, you know, to accentuate that. You're a hundred percent, Jeff. I mean, I, you know, there are, there are definitely advisors that I know I've been in this industry a long time that I, I, I don't think could ever successfully do this. Um, but there are plenty that I have met, spoken to, talked with, trained that they had, do they just have these certain components? And honestly, part of it is a willingness to be vulnerable. And it's interesting because if you just think for a second, if you put yourself in my position, I am constantly having to go into industry events and being, well, I'm, when I'm wearing heels, I'm nearly six feet tall. I've got hair down to the middle of my back. I'm very much, I stick out like a sore thumb, right? I, I understand with heels on, I'm six, three. So I trust me, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can feel me. You can feel me here. <laughs> yeah. And you stick out like a sore thumb when you go to industry events wearing heels. Too, absolutely. So I, <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, I have to deal with that feeling when I'm up in front of a room and majority of the attendees are male. They challenge me in different ways. And so it was something that I had to also, I had to overcome my own insecurities and feelings about knowing that I would, I would receive different types of feedback and interaction, but women's events, 
the, the thing that I love about them is they just don't, they don't have to get complicated because much of what I do and how I do it and how I train it's through story. It's teaching concepts through stories. And it's so much easier to do that. And, and it's a, versus having to get into a lot of the details, which most of these women are, they're going to shut down to anyway. Right. And so right. it's a much more fun and light and less data, you know, that kind of event. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense entirely. So talk about this life system and some of the training. So you were an advisor, I guess, literally up until a couple of weeks ago, right? But you sort of gravitated, it sounds like, into a training and coaching role on this marketing and business development. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the key tenets of this marketing and business development program are? And, and I think you're sort of talking around it, but uh, yeah. I think it's super intriguing. I know that I heard you say in a, some of your material that I looked at that women control a tremendous amount of wealth today and that that's just rapidly increasing every year. So it's right. clearly clearly a really meaningful segment and not only meaningful from the standpoint of building someone's business, but meaningful in terms of a segment of the marketplace that needs to be heard and understood and cared for as well. That's equally important. Yeah. Well, I think any advisor and certainly any company that that has multiple advisors, if they can work this component through into their company and have this as a part, just one of the lead source legs of the company that is female focused, they will be absolutely heads above their competition. Because first of all, it's an easy way to differentiate yourself. So so that was the the big piece. Let me just go back a little bit. When I started doing women's events and then started constantly and consistently filling rooms, which we weren't able to do with our traditional events, we have some of the worst response mail in the country, in the Seattle area. And I was seeing even, you know, side-by-side -side comparisons of mailing to the exact same zip codes two weeks apart and having my women's event two weeks later, having it the last event. And yet I couldn't fill my traditional open to everyone event. I would barely hit my food minimum. And then two weeks later, mailing to the exact same zip code with the exact same mailing cost, I would have a wait list for the same venue at the same time. Everything was identical. And so I was like, why is this? And so we started really heavily focusing, even though our company is not a women-only company, most of our advisors are male, three, out, three out, of, out of five of them are male, we still started seeing how this was absolutely transforming our ROI, the amount of money that we got in front of, the amount of qualified households. We had a lot more unqualified households because we had double the amount of people in the room, but we had double the amount of qualified households. So this is what I started to see. And so over a couple of years, by the time I was in my second full year, just doing two nights, two events a night, I was generating on average 19 first appointments a night. And I generated 419 first appointments that year. The That's average insane. advisor nationwide generates 25 new appointments in a year. It's no wonder that, you know, 88% don't last three years in this business because they just can't figure out how to get enough people to sit in front of. So we were getting, we were getting so many people, we ended up having to hire more advisors to do that. And so eventually I was feeding four advisors and I stepped out of personal production because that's where I was now, you know, my most effective self for the company was generating leads and not seeing individual people every day. So um, that's what we started to see. And I, 
And I started to experience in going to industry events, a lot of advisors coming up to me going, how do you do this? How do you do this? I don't understand. I know you're doing these women's events, but how do you do this? How do you do this? And I'm still running my own practice. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't sit and train you because I mean, my bread and butter is still, you know, my, my retirement planning firm. And, and so it really put me into a predicament where I was told by some well-meaning industry leaders that I just needed to give the answers to those who were the successful advisors and answer their questions. But those people who were struggling to fill their calendar or were newer advisors, I just needed to kind of just say, you need to go talk to, you know, your marketer or something like that. And the marketer didn't have any of the answers because nobody was doing these. And so it put me in a position that I either selfishly kept everything to myself, or I had to create a training organization to start to disseminate this information to people who wanted it. And so that's where life with Arwen, that's when that was born. Life is an acronym, leaders inspiring financial empowerment. And so I created the training organization to not only do keynotes for financial companies to just bring awareness that women are a massive segment, largest. So they're the, now the uh, uh, greatest holders of wealth in our country, the largest segment of the U.S. population. And in the next 20 years, they're going to inherit two thirds of the $30 trillion that's being transferred via inheritance. And that's going to push women holding north of 60% of U.S. wealth in the next 20 years. If I were new in this business or I had another five, 10 years under my belt, my God, I would figure out how do I start to tap into this massive tidal wave that's already making landfall in my community and nobody, nobody is tapping into it. That's what's so crazy is that I will have women come to my event and they will say, and it's just has happened for years. They'll go, oh my God, I could eat on financial advisors in this town two, three nights a week with the number of invitations that I receive. But yours is the first I've ever received that said women only on it. That's it mind sense. boggling. It makes <laughs> sense. It's mind boggling to me. <laughs> so, so, so for advisors who are listening, and I, and I got to imagine that, you know, there are probably two thirds of our, listener base who run successful practices, but who've sort of gotten away from a lot of things that helped them grow their businesses early on. What exactly does it look like to enroll in the coaching program and what type of a commitment is it? And how is it, how is it done? Are they getting access to tools or training or some combination? I'd, I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah. So there's different levels. Some of it is just online resources like a masterclass. So watching me talk through different objections, not only client objections, certainly a lot of male advisors and female advisors, quite honestly, because I've talked to enough female advisors who won't even think to attempt women's events for a lot of various reasons, most of which are not very good excuses. So I, I really address a lot of those. What's the internal dialogue that is keeping me from even thinking about going into it? And then um, walking through exactly what does my seminar look like? How do they have access to it? Those proprietary materials that come along with that and how to build really the perfect women-friendly seminar that's effective, that books appointments directly at the event that is um, easy to, to give and actually quite enjoyable because I've been giving events for a long time and certainly been in this industry. It is so much more interesting and fun. And so it's access to not only all the tools, what does that first appointment look like? How does it differ from a traditional appointment, maybe with a couple if you were sitting down, or 
what if she is part of a couple and she's not there with her spouse or her partner? How do you deal with that? What does it look like walking them through the sales process? How is it maybe a little bit different than, than couples or men that you sit down with? Because we've been doing all the other stuff too. I mean, we still have couples, plenty of couples, single men, all that kind of stuff. So we understand, um, especially with our male advisors and all the experience that they've had as well, how, how it differs sometimes with women, especially divorced, single, or never married women. They might differ a little bit than somebody who's coming in with their spouse and how you need to address them at that point. So I walk through all of those pieces. A lot of it is masterclass style for those that do sign up for year-long training. Then there's group coaching weekly on everything from, you know, giving your seminar. How do you do that perfect close at the seminar? What does your intro look like? What are some of the issues that you're having in sales process? And really everything that comes down to the marketing. How do you market for an event like this? Um, Facebook, you know, mailers, what mailers work? What colors work? (laughs) These, These simple things, what things might come across as condescending that we want to stay away from? You know, all of those pieces. So I train, it's very vast. It's very deep experience, not only through experientially, but all of the materials in which I've used individuals in the training have access to that as well. Yeah, it makes sense tremendously. And I assume that there are lists that can be purchased and list brokers that are helping identify sort of market segments. If I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm wanting to adopt you know, your system and the, and the programs and the, the workshops, is that something that you guys help oh, facilitate? Oh, 100%. That's, yeah. yeah, that's so simple, so easy. And I have great relationships that I can plug people into that have done this successfully with me for many years. So all of that stuff is very plug and play. It's really promising. It, it's intuitive. It makes sense. Just because it's intuitive and it makes sense doesn't mean that people are doing it well. So I assume it's those nuances of recognizing the space and then kind of having the the toolkit to execute properly there. That's that's really all the difference. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing all these thoughts, uh, and I certainly want to congratulate you. And it's you know it's interesting. I, and I just think back to personal experiences. But when you go through these pivotal points, that sort of I can go one of two ways. It can put you into an abyss or it can lift you up and kind of force you to dig your heels in and reinvent yourself. Great things can happen. And it sounds like you've had a couple of those and yeah. and because of the resolve, it's allowed you to end up in a, in a much, much better place. And I think there's even a lesson to be learned there separate and apart from you know what you're doing now with your business. So, Oh, hundred percent. And I would like to add this one thing is I think it's important for advisors to hear this is, you know, 2016, I was ready to sell it. And the change that we made, the amount that I was going to sell it for in 2016, I just sold it for 20 times that. That's phenomenal. And that was the the biggest change that we made was starting to market to women right after that. And that was the largest reason because we were stretching our marketing dollars so significantly and we weren't having to co- to constantly compete with all the advisors around us, yet we were still a, a company that was predominantly male. So it didn't have anything to do with that. It just had to do with now getting really good at marketing to an area that just was very, very undermarketed. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Any any final thoughts before we go to our closing piece? You know, I, I would just say for any advisor under the sound of my voice, you just have to be willing to try, but I but trying has to be more than two or four events. You know, I was not good at marketing to women, marketing to anybody. When I started my seminars, it took me really about six months to hit my stride to 
you know, be able to get my data and my information and, you know, my speaking skills down. And that just takes time. And I think a lot of times in this industry, we look at the shiny object and we're constantly chasing the shiny object and we're doing it because we want to generate leads and to differentiate ourselves, but we just don't do it long enough to become excellent at it. And so if you're willing to try, you just have to be patient and trust the process and not be willing to, you know, say two events in, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some magic, right? And not everyone can communicate effectively in front of a group. I think many can be trained to, but I think the point is well taken that you can't do two or three of these. And if you don't, not getting tremendous results, quit. There might be some point if you've done 10 of them and you're still seeing nothing, there might be right. some message behind that, but you probably have to give it enough of a try to refine the message understand some of the nuances and really determine whether or not it's viable. And it's not two or three, it's probably closer to eight or 10. I don't know what that number is. Yeah. And that's what a good coach does. I mean, if you have a good coach, they're going to be able to help you see those things of why is it not working and what are the small tweaks that need to happen to just increase better results. So that is the benefit when you have a coach alongside you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything and congrats on all your success. I do appreciate you letting us know that this transaction was so much better than the last one. Because if I do stop in for coffee, <laughs> if I stop in for coffee, that means you're buying now that I know that you just yeah, had There this you go. Happy to do outcome. it. <laughs> so, so for podcast karaoke, which we close with, tell us you picked a song from The Greatest Showman. Maybe uh, share with us if there's a significance to that. And then I'll pipe down and let you share your musical talent. <laughs> so actually, I just got to tell you, one of the things that I do on my podcast is I have them give me a song to add to my overcomer playlist. So. It's a playlist that I've been building over the years of songs that are really encouraging. And so it's, it's just funny that that's, this is something that you do because it's kind of similar. And I've had plenty of people who've, who've sung their part on my show as well. But this one is really my favorite. It's This Is Me from the Greatest Showman soundtrack. And the reason that I love this song is I have spent so many years, so much of my life trying to please other people and to be the person that they want me to be. And in recent years, I've really just done my best to just throw all of that out the window and just be happy and proud to be who God created me to be. And people can either like it or they don't. And all of that's fine because I'm just tired of trying to be something for everybody and realizing no matter how hard I tried to be perfect, to have everything, you know, running great or whatever it is. There are just people who are not going to like me. And I just needed to be okay with that. And so I just love this song because it really speaks to that part where we've got these broken pieces and we just have to embrace them and and be okay and love ourselves, even even though other people may not. So that's why I love it. Terrific. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So uh, here's just a, a little part of it right from the middle. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to stand a fly and going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, because here I come. And I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. There you go. I love it. So if this coaching thing gets boring, maybe we'll we'll look for you on the Broadway scene. Well done. Well done. 
Well, thank you. I make my grandparents proud. <laughs> there you go. It sounds terrific. I just wanted to say thank you. It was very nice meeting you and it was nice to have you on. And um... Nice to meet you too. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can. Advisors associated with Stratus Wealth Partners may be either one, registered representatives with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, and investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners, or two, solely investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. Investment advice offered through Stratus Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial.